Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. I'm going to the book of Matthew today. We are continuing our series uh, about navigating, and tonight we're going to be talking on discovering identity, discovering identity. I, don't, I want to make this announcement uh, for you is that uh, next week, uh, Pastor Dylan is going to be teaching the third installment of this. It's going to be a tremendous lesson as well. Uh, Sister Gill and I will be uh, celebrating what is today our 37th anniversary, so we'll be out of town. And praise God, I married way up, way beyond my pay grade, my look grade, my knowledge grade. I'm blessed, very blessed. And so next week, uh, you'll be blessed with Pastor Dylan's uh, gifted teaching ministry. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, and he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he saith unto them, Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Identity. Discovering your identity. Amen. Thank God for his blessings today. Let's pray over the word. Oh, God, we come before you today. We approach your word, Lord, with passion, with hunger, Lord, and humility tonight. We need you, God, in this place. Lord, I'm asking you, God, that you would help us navigate this culture that we're in, navigate the times and the seasons that we're in, in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. Lord bless you, can be seated. How great it is it to have Bishop Walls back from Spain. <laughs> Praise God. You know, life is a journey. It's a journey. Navigating through life is like going through a maze, and it requires particular skills and determination. And this journey is difficult for adults, but it is particularly difficult for young folks. And I want to, I want to talk to our young folks tonight, but I want to talk to all of us. But uh, if we're going to rush into this thing called life and you know, how many remember when you are, you are a, a teenager and you're thinking about, this is what I want to be, this is what I want to do, this is where I see myself, this is what I want to accomplish, and, and, and so we're going to just jump into it and everything's new and crisp and wonderful. But if you're going to rush into this thing called life, you better have a roadmap, and you better understand how to read it. Amen. Because this world has a roadmap, but south has become north. East has become west, up has become down, and down has become up. They're looking at the map upside down. Amen. We got any map readers in the house? Anybody that loves to read maps? Praise God for map readers. I'm the map reader in our house. 
I love. When, when I grew up, my dad took his engineering skills into to, to, when we were evangelizing, and, and, and he would set out the course for our trip. He'd study maps for hours and, and hours. He just loved that kind of stuff, so I inherited a little bit about that. But, but a map has signs along the way and road signs along the way that we discover. You know, things like, you need to know what dangerous curve ahead means. Because you might want to slow down a little bit. A dangerous curve ahead or, you know, bridge freezes before road. That doesn't make much sense when it's 98 degrees outside. But when it's 30 and 28, and I remember years ago when Brother Mike and I went to go get our daughters that had become stranded along with Sister Bailey, I believe, my memory serves it right, stranded in Bloomington in an ice storm. And we were watching along the way to see how, how what was coming off the car next to us. Is that ice or is it water? And, and uh, we slipped, slided our way in to rescue our daughters. What a tremendous, y'all ought to be proud of us. Yeah. But you need to know what, what it means when you see a sign that says, no U-turn, stop. Yield, no passing zone. And I am convinced, I am convinced, Brother Gene, that that road to your, to your house has a new stop sign there. I don't remember seeing that stop sign ever before. You just hit that curve and go. Well, now they got a stop sign there. Is, is that a new one? Okay, all right. Well, uh, it, it, you better understand what signs are about. And today's culture doesn't seem to really want to read the signs. Matter of fact, they say the signs don't matter. We'll just go what we want to do. But the importance of identity is this. Who you are will affect what you do and what you will become. And who you think you are will control how you act. Identity impacts who you date. If you know who you are, it will determine who you date. If you know who you are, it will determine who you marry. If you know who you are, it will determine your path of life. And knowing your identity will foster your view of the world, how you see things. And you may think, oh, I'm just seeing this, this through my parents' eyes or I'm just seeing this through the church eyes. Really, you're coming to know who you are. And, and, and so when, when Peter responded to the question of Jesus, whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I, I've identified who you are. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he added this next verse that we need to grab a hold of because it teaches us a principle about identity. And he said, Thou art, pointed his finger at Peter and said, Thou art Peter. Thou art Peter. Notice it was Simon, Peter, now he looks at him and he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And I, I, I know tonight we could get into the depth of the, of the words there and what all that means, but the point I want to point to you is this. Who is going to tell you who you are? Is the far out fashion industry going to tell you who you are? When you see someone with, with crazy dyed hair, Tattoos all over their body, driving outlandish vehicles, those who, who, who do their best to stand out in any 
any world, chances are they're really in an identity crisis. Chances are they're really in an identity crisis. Not everybody, but a lot. The reality is people are busy trying to find themselves, so they try this style and that style. They try this way and that way. You know, and, and, and they, they, don't, they struggle with, who am I? What is my identification mark? What will make me stand out? What will make me measure up to the standard of this world and the standard of others? I believe today that this world is taking primarily everybody but the young people and squeezing you into a, 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 a concept that you've got to be like this. You've got to look like this. You've got to dress like this. You've got to have this kind of conversation. You've got to have these kind of devices. You've got to have this kind of watch. You've got to have this kind of iPhone. You've got to have this kind of pad. You've got to have that kind of pad until all of a sudden you're just, you're just who am I? So the next thing is we begin to play the game and begin to act out in ways that we really don't know who we are. It is important to get your identity right. There are things that happen when we make assumptions that are not correct. Mistaken identity can get you in trouble. I come across this story that says, with his request approved, the CNN news cameraman quickly used his cell phone to call the local airport to charter a flight and was told a twin-engine plane would be waiting for him at the airport. Arriving at the airfield, he spotted a plane warming up outside the hangar. He jumped in with his bag, slammed the door shut, and shouted to the man, Let's go. The pilot texted, taxied out, swung the plane into the wind, and took off. Once in the air, the cameraman instructed the pilot, fly over the valley and make low passes so I can get shots of the fires on the hillside. The pilot said, why? He said, because I'm a cameraman from CNN. He responded, I need to get some close-up shots. The pilot Lee, Strangely went silent for a moment, and he finally said, so what you're telling me is you're not my flight instructor. <laughs> it pays to know who you are so you can understand who everybody else is. What happened is that the CNN cameraman assumed that the man in the plane was the pilot. The student assumed the cameraman was the flight instructor. The fact is we assume a lot. And sometimes assumptions are real and assumptions are good and they lead us to the right conclusions. Assumption is something that is, is believed to be true. We assume something to be true. Uh, and, and it's defined as probably the most common meaning of assumption in use today is the indication or the supposition, an estimate, a conjuncture that something is taken for granted. All right, I'm going to talk to you about three assumptions that will shape your identity. Three assumptions taken from our text tonight in Matthew chapter 16. Three assumptions that will shape your identity. Number one is the assumption of ascription. The assumption of ascription. Jesus said, who do others say that I am? What are other people telling me? <laughs> You're the pilot. You're the pilot instructor. Well, really, no. Who do 
others say that I am. The culture of the day wants to seize the soul of, of the identity of a person so that their identity is so confused they don't have any knowledge of who they are. It is, I believe, the greatest battle of this generation. Identity is the greatest battle of this generation. They're so confused today about who they are. We find that the world doesn't want them to know who they are. The enemy doesn't want them to know. The identity war of today is nothing less than the battle for the mind, the battle for the future, the battle for a, 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 a child's a, a, a defining who they're going to be. According to New York Times columnist Bob Herbert, there are over 5 million young people today between the ages of 16 and 24 who are out of school and out of work with no skills, no prospects, and no hope. That means 5 million Americans in their prime roaming the streets prepared for nothing but misery. Why? Because they don't know who they are. Because if you ever know who you are, then you automatically know, I've got purpose. I have a reason. I'm here for a reason. So who is going to give you your label? Who's going to label you? Peer pressure will do it if you don't watch it. Peer pressure will try to label you. Hollywood, the music industry will try to label you. The school you attend, the community you live in will try to label you. The fashion industry will try to label you. The elite intellectuals of the university campuses will try to label you. The advertisement industry will label you. Government will label you. Google will label you. Apple will label you. Other churches and youth groups can label you. Man, before long, you don't have an idea who you really are. So you better have a sure assumption. Who's everybody saying that I am? What, how, how do we get to the place that we're so concerned about what everybody else thinks about us? And what happens, young folks, is that you'll begin to spin around like a top because you're trying to fit in with this one and you're trying to fit in with that group and this group until all of a sudden you don't have a clue who you are. We have become a hyphenated culture. People are no longer just merely Americans or just Christians. They're hyphenated Americans. I want to tell you that I just recently learned, just a few years ago, that I'm not Irish, I'm Welch. My brother did one of those history search out things, and, and so our family is Scotch-Welch, not Scotch-Irish. And then I have a little bit of Cherokee Indian in me, amen, uh, but I'm American. So here's what I am. If I go by the labeling system of the day, I'm Scottish-Welch-Indian-American. Scotch, Welsh, Indian, American. Hyphenate, that would make your head spin. And I'm sure that I have some other different things inside of this pedigree of mine. How about you? All right. So now we have labels today where people are, are saying, I'm a white Irish Christian. Or I'm an African American Christian. And so we have become so label conscious that we can't get the identity right. Before I'm a Scotch, Scottish, before I'm a Welsh, or before I'm an Indian, I'm a child of the king. That makes me a Christian first. I don't need the other labels on me to define me when I understand who I am. 
So who is other people going to say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, it says that our identity does not come from the world. Let no man deceive you. If by any, uh, if any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. The world system will deceive. So I don't want the world telling me who I am. I don't want my friends telling me who I am. So the assumption of ascription is this. Don't let other people label you. Even church people. The second assumption in understanding identity is the assumption of self-description. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? What do you say about yourself? Too often... The wrong questions begin to arise, so the wrong suppositions begin to be asked. Too often people fall into the trap of wondering, what if? So who am I? If I had different parents, would I be different? If I had grown up in a different neighborhood, would I be different? A different city, a different country, a different culture. What if I hadn't quit school? What if I went to a different school? What if I didn't have uh, uh, the brothers and sisters that I have? What if I didn't live in the house where I live? Amen. Do you recognize the unchangeables in your life? Amen. You are by DNA who you are. I love uh, Sister Tiffany put a post on Facebook recently about about the DNA of a, of a person, an individual. There, there is no such thing, uh, and she said it very well, there is no such thing as a sex change. Because to have a sex change, you would have to have a DNA change. You are a man from your skull to your toes by DNA. You are a girl by, your, by DNA from your head to your toe. And a sex change, a tissue change is not going to change that. So when you look in the mirror, you've got to say, I am who God made me. And God doesn't make mistakes. Well, what about my emotions? What about my feelings? You know what? There's a lot of great, great young ladies that, that, that have dealt with those kinds of issues of being a tomboy, living in the country, and all that kind of dealt with it, and still is a child of God. There are young men that have had to deal with uh, the battle of effeminate or even attraction to another uh, 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 of the same sex, but they've got the victory over it. Uh, I want to tell you, when you know who you are, you can get through anything. You can overcome, uh, if you're a young man, you can overcome pornography. Amen. You don't have to have the destiny that I'm going, I'm going to go the same way as my dad. I'm going the same way as my mom. I'm There are some unchangeables in your life. Number one is your DNA cannot be changed. Number two, your birth order cannot be changed. To whom you were born, to whom you are related, your height, I'm preaching now, this is deep right here. Your height cannot be changed. Your height cannot be changed. I really wanted to be, you know, 6'11". I can dunk a basketball then, Brother Jay. Hallelujah. I'm stuck at five, nine and a half. I'm stuck here. Been here all my adult life. You can't change that. Amen. I can't change the color of my skin. I said I can't change the color of my skin. You are the color of who you are when God made you. And God don't make mistakes. 
Hallelujah. God doesn't make mistakes. I, I get so, so sickened of people that want to try to define themselves of another race. It, it, it's, it's not what God's will and God's heart is. Your body frame is unchangeable. Your body frame is unchangeable. So there are some things in your life. Now, your attitude, you can change it tonight. Ooh, hallelujah. I said your attitude, you can change tonight. I'll go deep in that some other time. Let's talk about how self-esteem relates to identity. Self-esteem relates to identity. Amen. Because when we try to define ourselves, when we go into the assumption of I'm going to tell myself who I am, we can get into mess. Society has become addicted to the statement of needing self-esteem. You need self-esteem. I need self-esteem. What they're really saying is that you want to feel good about who you are. It's about feeling good about who you are. We're stuck in the muddy notion that if it feels good, then it must be who we are. Then it must be good. We've become so preoccupied with self-esteem until it has become the focus of educators rather than education. Teachers have become so engrossed in making kids feel better that we can't have losers and winners. All right? It doesn't matter if your children learn anything as long as they feel good about themselves. How do you feel about it? And I love, I love, I want you to feel good about yourself. I like to feel good. Anybody want to feel good about yourself? I want good self-esteem. In the words of Arla Karsbaldad, dealing with self-esteem and the Christian, says it like this. Self-esteem for Christians is a paradox. The more of the real thing you have, the less you think about how good you are. The stronger you get, the more you become aware of your weakness. You see the paradox there? The better you look, the less you care about who's looking. Self-esteem is about how I look, how I feel. How, I want to make sure that everything's good. That's really not who you are. But who you are is self-worth. Having an understanding of self-worth. Amen. That your value in the eyes of God is supreme. I can't play this and I can't sing this and I can't do that. So what? So what? I don't look like this. I don't have the, I don't have the Barbie body. So what? Don't have the kid body. So what? My six pack is really a keg. So what? <laughs> the supposed profession of self-esteem does not mean one has an understanding of their true personal identity. While confidence is essential, we want that. You really don't know who you can be until you know who you are. The opposite side then of our, our, our the real concept is not self-esteem, but rather self-worth. And the opposite side of self-worth is self-hate. And self-hate is what causes people to lead to depression, to violence, and ultimately suicide. Suicide is the ultimate act of self-hate. So when we begin to ascribe ourselves, telling ourselves who we are, 
we can get in trouble because we tend to go by our feelings. Okay? Peer pressure and other people, the, uh, the, the first as assumption is that people tell me who I are, and then I'm worried about everybody's opinion, and I begin to please everybody. Then I don't know who I am because I'm constantly being a chameleon. Right? But if I go to the third assumption, which is the divine assumption, and that is I am who God says I am. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Thou art Peter. Amen. Knowing Jesus, Peter knew who Jesus was, was the first step in knowing who he was. Do you know him tonight as Savior and Messiah? Do you know him as Christ and Lord? Do you believe he is the final authority of truth? Amen. Are you accepting his call to obedience? Because if you know God, then you can know who you are. Your world may shake around you. Your, your, your friends and peer pressure will change your label every day if it could. And you will change your own label every day. But what God labels you is unchangeable. Let's look at some scriptures that bear this out. Psalm 190, 139 and verse 13 for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. How can, you see this is something we really, really need to know. Is that a person that was born to a rape has purpose. Oh that's a horrible thing. Yes it is. Yes it is. But God said, I know you even beyond that. I can take you from that and let you know that that does not, your beginning does not define you who you are. I see you in the womb, amen, so I can tell you who you are. God sees us beyond a tragedy, a, a, a problem, an issue. That's why every child is so important. That child born in that situation may be the answer to cancer. That God said, I put it in their DNA. I put it in their heart, and I know they born, was born in a terrible situation, but they can rise out of it I recently heard about a a uh, a man who was in Auschwitz a, a Jew where his mother and father were killed his wife was killed and his brother was killed all by the Nazis leaving just him and his sisters and yet he come out of that seemingly unscathed and became a very productive man. And he said the reason wasn't. He said they can take my family. They can take my health. They can take my life. But they're not going to take my soul. I refuse to get mad at one of them. I refuse to hate one German. That's what he said. What is he saying? I'm saying my situation doesn't define my identity. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. You are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Somebody say, I belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. 
I belong to the Lord. And if I belong to the Lord, then I can say what Paul said in Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, the Bible says, but you are a chosen generation. You're chosen. You're royal. You're a priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're peculiar. You are a particular people. Amen. This is your identity. Hell is out to hijack your identity. The assault on man's distinctiveness began at the garden. Satan has been at it for a long time to destroy man's original identity that was directed by God. Therefore, it is a direct assault to the authority of God. Any loss of identity can become an assault to the authority of God. That's why they shake their fist at God and said, I'll be where I want to be. Do what I want to be. It's an assault on the authority. The loss of their God-ordained identity, amen, will then usher in a conflict between God and man, between good and evil, between man and woman. The loss of identity was essentially the loss of understanding divine authority. The gender-neutral movement of the day began in the garden, not in some particular place it began in the garden the real lifeline the real pumping heart of society and culture is the family and Satan knew if he can destroy the identity of the family then he can destroy and pollute personal identity personal identity amen here's what you need to know you were created in the image of God. Say that with me. I was created in the image of God. John Stott wrote in an article in Christianity Today magazine entitled, Am I Supposed to Love Myself or Hate Myself? And he deals succinctly with the identity of this battle of knowing who we are. Quote, he says, What we are, our personal identity, is partly the result of the creation being made in the image of God and partly the result of the fall in the image that was defaced. The self we are to deny, disown and crucified is our fallen self. Everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ, hence Christ commands, let him deny himself and follow me. The self we are to affirm and value is our created self. Everything within us. Amen, that is compatible with Christ. Hence the statement, amen, that we ought to follow him with true obedience. Let me just stop here and say that there, that there's a wrestling match between the old you and the new you. Amen. And the one you feed and the one you say sick them to is the one that is going to win. Who you are is what God says you are. Yeah, you got problems with the old man. Yes, you got problems. Anybody have some pain in their life? Anybody have some issues? Anybody got some troubles and struggles and, and trials in your life? That's not who you are. That, that failure that happened to you is not who you are. Who you are if you're a born again of water and of spirit is that you are a child of God and you have the ability to say no to the old identity no to that which is defiant with Christ and say yes to that which is pleasing to him. Here's the identity before the fall. If you're taking notes you can write these down. This is where we draw our true identity. What was man's identity before the fall? There was masculine and there was feminine. 
identity. There was man and there was woman. There was Adam and Eve, male and female, distinct. There was also, their identity was found in a sense of moral character. If you, if you look at them, you will find that the Bible teaches us in Psalms that they were clothed in a garment of light. Speaking of their purity and their moral character, when sin come in, the light was gone and they realized who they really were. They were naked. They were a covenant-connected family. The Bible said they were to be one flesh. They were to be stewards of what God gave them. Dress and keep the garden, he said. They were to have a passion to be near God, worshiping the Lord in the cool of the day. They were to walk with the word of God because it was the voice that daily met with them. Amen. I want to tell you, if you want to continue to know who you are, you got to walk with God and his word on a daily basis. Because this world is screaming out, this is who you are, this is who you are, and I need to go back to the word to find out who God says that I am. There was an appreciation in the garden for God's gift in their life. You will find that God, that, that Adam thanked God for Eve. Adam thanked God for Eve. There was willful obedience to the creator and the holy awe of God in the very beginning. That is connected to their identity. Amen. The passionate pursuit of selfishness today has led to a culture that cries out, look at me, pay attention to me, look at me, pay attention to me. The emergence of social media like Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram has poured gas on the flame of a self-centered world. Why not all material on these sites is selfish? Let me just say that. There is a mountain of self-indulgent information that cannot be ignored. When reality TV has come along and said, I gotta be me. Nobody tell me what to do. Nobody tell me. And, and, and you have to ask, do they really think they have self-worth? If so, why is their worlds falling apart? Why are their marriages in divorce? Why is it there's so much heartache because they've not come to the understanding of self-worth, but they have bought into the Babylon manifesto from Isaiah 47 and 10, amen, that Babylon speaks of the world. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And he said, thou hast said in thy heart, I am and none else beside me. The Babylon spirit today that cries out for its own identity is that it's all about me because I want me to be happy. I want me to be noticed. I want me to be after, I want my selfie. With myself. By myself. Babylon says there's no need to deny yourself. You need to make sure yourself's happy or pick up your cross. Live your life to fullness. Pursue your dreams. Make your own way. Eat, drink. You know, we, 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 we buy in, and, and, and it's not a bad thing, but we often buy in, you can be whatever you want to be. Go talk to John the Baptist. Whose ministry maybe lasted a year. And was beheaded wondering, did I do the right thing? Yet Jesus said, he's the greatest of prophets. 
Hallelujah. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He didn't care what the Pharisees thought about him. He just had a job he thought he needed to do, and that's who his identity was. I want to tell you today, when you know who you are, you can plow through any trial. You can plow through any test. You can survive every mountain. You can survive every uh, sickness or every situation that comes your way because you know who you are. God said this is who you are. Amen. I want to give you two central needs in every person's life that defines you. I'm going to boil it down to two things you need to define you. The foundation of true identity is found in these two basic needs of humanity. In a sense, self-worth and acceptance of oneself as valuable and whole and becoming a real person is boiled down into these two things. The first thing that we need is significance. Say that with me. Significance. Under significance, that is a clarity of purpose, a reality of value, an ability to impact others, and intimacy in relationship. Let me say it again. Significance. Number one need. And under significance is clarity of purpose, Reality of value, your worth, ability to impact others, and intimacy and relationship. Significance. The second need that defines you is security. Security. Under security is unconditional love expressed, unending acceptance experienced, unfailing protection ensured, unlimited provisions enjoyed. Say it again. Unconditional love expressed, unending acceptance experience, unfailing protection ensured, and unlimited provisions enjoyed. Now, this, these two usually show up different in men and women. While men primarily crave significance, women primarily need security. But both of them are vital to each other. Christian psychologist Dr. Larry Crabb stated, People pursue, people pursue irresponsible ways of living as a means of defense against feelings of insignificance and insecurity. Insignificance and insecurity will drive people to steal, cheat, commit adultery, will drive people to do behavior that is self-destructive, and that goes to the next point I want to show you, and that is the three stages that lead to self-destruction. There's three stages. The first is the right stage. The second is a problem stage if we don't handle it right. And the third is where self-destruction comes in. The first stage is self-worth. That means basic human needs are met by God. I am significant because my relationship with God. I have security because my relationship with God. Then if we move from that, we move to the next stage that leads towards self-destruction, and that is self-will. Self-worth turns into self-will. That's when the highest needs are tried to be met without God, and significance becomes a pursuit of power, and security becomes a pursuit of pleasure. You say it again. In self-will... 
the highest need is not met by God, but is met by man. And so the pursuit of significance becomes the pursuit of power, and the pursuit of security becomes the pursuit of pleasure. What we feel is that there's a need inside of us for significance. There's a need inside of us for security. But we move it into our own fleshly will. It becomes, I want power. I want manipulation. I want control. I want to make sure that I have my way. And then it is, I want to feel good. I want to have pleasure. I want to enjoy life. Can't you just let me enjoy life, Dad? I just want to have fun. I just want to enjoy life. Sigmund Freud. Not, not Freud. Freud. I like that. Maybe that's a, that's a Freudian slip. Whoo. Hallelujah. Some of y'all get that next week. But oh, this dude was called the father of psychoanalysts. And he held an assumption that there are two basic drives being human and human behavior. He said power and pleasure. In a sense, he's right. Power and pleasure is the aim of life without God. Power and pleasure is the aim of life without God. That's self-willed living. But if we're not careful, self-will leads to self-wrecking. That is the inevitable long-term consequences of a life without God. You watch it. it. Power, we've gone from significance to power, and then from power now it becomes violence. Significance is God's plan. Power is self-will's plan. Violence becomes self-destruction. You see the, the stage there? In, in God's plan... He wants us to have security. Self-will wants pleasure. Self-wrecking wants immorality, perversion at any cost. Look at the news. Two of the major problems in our country today is violence and immorality because people don't know who they are. Why do, why do, why do people deface property? Because they don't know who they are. Well, I am an artist. Well, did you know about the dude that built that house 75 years ago who put his sweat and blood in it? So you're not going to respect him and show honor to what he did. So I'm going to go on. I'm going to have my way. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what it defaces. You see, there's got to be a responsibility in your identity. Responsibility is connected to identity. Praise God. Somebody say, come on, pastor. Let's go. When you study Sodom and Gomorrah, what were they were pervasively involved with? Violence and immorality. If pleasure is the highest goal, then immorality is the ultimate result. Why do people sleep together? Why do they have, why, why do they have sex outside of a marriage? Because they don't know who they are. Because if you know who you are, all of a sudden, my significance is not in that other but in God, so I'm going to wait until marriage until I get me the right one. You young people hearing me today? 
I'm going to wait until I get the right one rather than become a statistic in some broken down life where there's destruction everywhere and a bomb has exploded in my world. So I know who I am. I'm going to wait until I find somebody who knows who they are and we're going to, get a, we're going to have a marriage together. Praise God. The writer of Hebrews says in 10 and 39, but we are not of them. That's not who we are who draw back under perdition. We're not of them. We're different. All right. I'm going to tell you how you can know that you're significant. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 and verse number one. Praise God. I've got one, two, three. Oh, three pages. Can y'all hold on for three more pages? All right. Psalm 139, verse, uh, let's go to verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me, and look at this, and known me. Somebody say, God knows me. You know my down-sittings and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. He knows me. I said he knows me. He knows me. Hallelujah. He didn't said there's not a word in my tongue. But lo, Lord, thou knowest all together. In this particular verse, in these four straightforward verses, we come to the part where I am significant because God knows me. If God knows me, then he defines me. If God defines me, then he tells me what my identity is. He knows the deepest possibilities of my thoughts from afar. He knows my funny quirks and my strange uh, idiosyncrasies. He knows me. I don't have to go find myself. He's found me before I was ever born. Amen. A person who holds this assumption will be unmovable in their identity. Jesus said we do not have to fear. Amen. Because he said he has numbered every hair on our head. If he knows that great detail about me, then he knows who I am and he's going to help me in my journey to significance. I am significant because God knows me. I want you to say that with me. I am significant because God knows me. God knows me. I don't know about you, that blows my mind. It's interesting that this phrase knows me in the original language is both the action of knowing as commencement, as commencing, and as completing. God knows my beginning, and he knows my ending. The Bible already says he knows my end back to the beginning, but he knows my beginning. He knows me from my childhood all the way through. Amen. If I told you there's some things in my life, amen, that has happened to me that I can't afford to let define me. God knows me. He knows my heart. He knows what comes out of my mouth before I speak it because he knows me. Amen. Some of the stuff coming out of your mouth is not who you are. Hear me tonight. It's not who you are. It's what the devil has said you are. It's what the world has said you are. And it comes out of your mouth and you think, oh my, that's not me. You're right. That is not you. It is God that wants to come out of your mind. So he's going to give you his Holy Spirit to help you overcome that and realize who you are. All right, I know I'm significant because God knows me. I know I'm secure. Pick up verse 7 or verse 5. Let's go to verse 5. 
139 Psalms and verse 5. Thou hast beset, the word beset here means fortified. Thou hast fortified me behind and before. You know me, so you're going to fortify me, and you've laid your hand upon me. I wish I had somebody right now to be apostolic and just take off running sometime while we're reading this book. Amen. Because this is so powerful. God knows me. He's laid his hand on me. He knows what's coming out of my mouth. He knew me before I was born. Amen. He knows who I am. (laughs) The writer says, such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. What is he saying? In today's vernacular, God, that's blowing my mind. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, everybody say good times. If I ascend to heaven, if I have good times, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, bad times, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, in times of quick transition, God knows me. He knows me. Verse 10, even there shall thy hand lead me. Hallelujah. And thy right hand shall hold me. What is he saying? If you have good times in heaven, if you have bad times in hell, if you have quick times in the uttermost part of the sea, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to hold you. You've got to know who you are. You've got to realize that you're valuable and now you are secure. You're significant. Now you're secure. In verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me in times of darkness when I don't even get it right. In times of darkness when I mess up, he knows me. Yea, the darkness uh, hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. What does that mean? Nothing moves God. And since God knows me and God's following me from heaven to hell, then there's nothing that ought to remove me. When I know who I am, when I know who I am, praise God. God's with me, so I'm safe. God knows me, so I'm significant. God knows me, so I'm significant. God's with me, so I know I say he's behind me. He's fortified around me. There's no place I can run, no situation so bad that can alter my worth with God. Nothing. Nothing. Let me just say this. Be careful how you identify yourself and label yourself. You raised your hand a while ago. We've all had struggles. We've all had, some of us have had bitter struggles. Some still have struggles. That struggle does not define you. Please hear me. That struggle, that temptation does not define who you are. God will give you power to overcome it. But that's not who you are. I wish you'd hear me tonight. Some of you have habits that just pull you down. God does not define you by your habits. Amen. He doesn't define you by your past because he's put it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again, the ocean of grace. Amen. That that just begins to cover us. Our sins are as as far as from the east as from the west. What is he saying? Your sin in your past does not define you. Some have repented and repented and repented and repented never to do that again, never to follow that again, but yet still pull themselves back because they think that's who they are. They think that their failures has defined them. Stand up, child of God. God said, if you go to heaven, if you have good times in your life, I'll be with you. If you go to hell, I'll be with you because you got to know who you are. Yeah. 
If you don't know who you are in this day and age, the world will tell you. Your friends will try to define you. Then your flesh will try to define you. Let me just tell you, your mistakes don't define you. Your faults don't define you. Your flaws don't define you. Your errors and shortcomings don't define you. Neither do your successes. Neither do your victories. Neither do your achievements. Neither do your good results. Neither does your popularity. Neither does your triumphs. That's not even who you are. Who you are, if you're born again of water and of spirit, this is who you are. You are a son of God or you're a daughter of God. One or the other. And he says, I'm with you and I know you. What else do you need? The human being needs two things to survive. Significance and security. And if you want to know the Lord in your life, young person, come to know him right now as he's saying I don't care who you are where you come from what your past is where you were born what you have done you are still significant to me stand with me please stand with me please Joseph said to Potiphar's wife who wanted him to sleep with her to have sex with her, to commit adultery with her. And he looked at her and he said, how can I do this great sin against God? What was he saying? I know who I am. I know who I am. I know what my worth is. I'm better than this. And yet it looked like he lost, but he didn't lose. (laughs) <laughs> we know the end of the story. Some of you are dealing with situations that, 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 that draw you and draw you and draw you that you need to look at that Potiphar wife, that whatever that temptation is, and say, you are no longer going to define me. I'm walking. I'll drop my coat right here with you. I don't care what the past is. I know what my future is. I am who God says I am. My worth is because of God, not your body shape, not your beautiful face. Amen. I'm I wish I could quit, but I can't. Amen. You are who you are, Savannah, because what God says you are, not what culture says you are, not what society says you are. You are who you are because of who God's. He mm. helping me preach tonight, baby. He helping me. Yes, indeed. That's that's right. God already knows who she is. Blows my mind. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Wish You help me preach. You help me preach. You help me preach. Help me preach a little while. Is this a is this a missionary? Is this is this a sorry but you can't preach. I'm just just sorry, but you can't preach. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You never know. I want her to grow up knowing who she is. I want our young folks. Amen. Come here, Zach. You got to hold his microphone. She's trying to take it away from me. Hold up to my mouth. Hold it up. Zach, I want you to know who you are. I want you to know who you are. Amen. Zach wants to be a Navy SEAL. Wow. A Navy SEAL. But if you never become a Navy SEAL, you're still awesome. 
I got to quit. I have got to quit. Come on, everybody. Let's lift up our hands and praise the Lord in this house. Lord, we love you today. Heavenly Father, we praise you today. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are with us, God. We are significant because you're with us, Lord. We're significant, God, because you're with us, Lord. We are secure, Lord, because you're with us, God. You know us, God, and you're with us today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.